Hi, and welcome to Macrina's Key, the podcast where we talk about theology for every season. I'm your host, Sarah Evans. Every fortnight, we discuss systematic theology in bite-sized portions, and along the way, we're learning to see and know God in every season of life, whether we're in the spotlight, on the edge, or being faithful in the mundane. I'm so excited to have you with us. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to the very first episode of the podcast, Macrina's Key. I'm Sarah Evans, and I'll be your host as we head into this foray of theological adventuring. You know, I thought about just getting straight into theology and getting started off on a pretty deep topic, but then I realized it might be better for me to start off by offering a little bit of an explanation about what the podcast is, what I'm hoping to accomplish, and really talking a little bit about the name of the podcast. Who's Macrina and what's this idea of a key that I've got on here? So today I'm going to answer those questions and in so doing, I'm hoping that I'll help to provide a snapshot about what the purpose is of the podcast and where we'll be headed in our time together. Macrina the Younger may be a lesser known name for many of us, particularly those of us who find ourselves in Protestant traditions. But she's venerated in several traditions as a saint. She's celebrated in Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, Lutheranism, and Anglicanism. But despite that, I still think she remains a relatively lesser known saint. Despite her obscurity, you might say, she played an important role in the formation of the faith as we know it today, which is part of the reason I've named the podcast after her. I want to tell you a bit about her, some of her achievements, and then I'll explain why I named the podcast Macrina's Key why I chose to sort of follow in her footsteps by naming this after her. So Macrina is often known because of who she was related to. You know, I think this is true for a lot of us, right? I'm known in some circles as my children's parent, as my husband's wife, um, as so-and-so's student or so-and-so's graduate. Often we're known by the people who are around us in our immediate kind of family circles or relationships. Macrina is the same way, even historically. She was the elder sister of two of the Cappadocian fathers, Basil and Gregory. Now, for those of you who don't know much church history or don't know it in a lot of detail, the Cappadocians are pivotal in early Christian history. In fact, they're so significant that their influence is still felt today because they work to articulate central Christian doctrines. Various aspects of Trinitarian theology, our understanding of Jesus, his identity, and our view of the Holy Spirit are all really dependent on the work that they did. The Christian faith really wouldn't be where it is today if not for these men. While Macrina herself didn't participate in those discussions and the councils which made important decisions on these topics, the things that her brothers were involved in, she influenced those who were present. Her contribution came through that influence. In a sense, you might say that her contribution came from the background. I'm going to circle back to this idea in a moment of being in the background because that's a central part of why I started this podcast. But first, I want to tell you a little bit more about this remarkable woman's life before we get there. Macrina was betrothed to a young man of good standing around the age of 12. However, her fiance died before their wedding. Macrina considered it unholy to marry another man, and instead, she chose to pursue a life of asceticism or self-denial 
and she considered Christ her true bridegroom. Friends, do any of you have a 12-year-old daughter? Maybe you have a niece or a friend's daughter who's around that age, or even a few years older than that. Can you imagine that child, that teenager, having the maturity to give up a future with a husband, the possibility of a family, and the various dreams that she might have associated with that? Remember, in this day and age when Macrina was living, that was basically what a woman aspired to because she didn't have a lot of other options. Instead, Macrina chose a life of self-control and restraint all for the sake of Christ. I know many adults who could never make that kind of sacrifice, but Macrina did, and she did it at a young age. She loved Christ deeply and wanted to serve him wholeheartedly, even if that meant withdrawing from the world and giving up a comfortable life and the things that she had expected. When describing her brother, when describing her, her brother uh, Gregory, excuse me, when describing her brother Gregory, Carla D. Sunberg notes that Macrina's parents provided a remarkably good example of earthly marriage, and it was one in which the two individuals were bound together deeply by love, and the resulting relationship was one in which each individual became more than he or she could have been without the other. I think that's the kind of marriage that those of us who are in relationships are really aspiring to, the kind where we can be encouraging our spouse, our partner, to be more than they would have been without us. This kind of example would have likely suggested to Macrina that one of marriage's purposes is providing the opportunity for growth and, dare I say it, sanctification. Of course, it's unlikely Macrina would have put it in quite those words. But for her brother Gregory and other theologians of the era, the Christian life revolved around a process called theosis, which is similar to sanctification. I first heard about theosis when I was an undergrad, and I found it to be a rich, compelling picture of the Christian life, one which extends past this mortal physical life without denying the dignity and importance of our lives on earth. I have a feeling theosis is going to come up pretty frequently over the next wee while, and we'll have a chance to tease out many of the nuances as they arise in relation to other doctrines. And for that reason, I'm just going to sketch the merest outline as it pertains to Macrina. At its most basic, theosis is the process of becoming like God. Many Protestants will hear this and immediately jump to the conclusion that it's synonymous with sanctification, which I mentioned earlier. That's actually a mistake, and it's one I want to help you avoid Theosis certainly includes sanctification, but it's much more expansive. It's a much more capacious kind of term. Donald Fairbairn is a patristic scholar out of Gordon-Conwell, and he has a rather helpful introduction to early Christian theology. He is worth listening to on this point. He describes theosis as the ancient attempt to prevent any separation between doctrine and the Christian life. They did this in the early church by suggesting that our entire Christian life is in some mysterious way linked to God's own life. In other words, our lives are able to participate in the divine life, and we more fully share in the Trinitarian life as we become more like God. That is, by adopting us as his co-heirs, Christ invites us to share in this fellowship this relationship between the Father and the Son, which occurs through the power of the Holy Spirit. If that idea doesn't just blow you away, I don't really know what else will. We get to share in the relationship between the Father and the Son because of what Christ has done for us. 
Salvation then isn't simply some form of fire insurance, and it's not just a reason to act in a moralistic way. It's an invitation to share in the very life of God and recognize that our everyday activities have significance and value insofar as they both share in the life of God and shape us towards that kind of sharing relationship. All of this shouldn't be taken to suggest that we become divine. Christian doctrine is very explicit. No one moves over the gap between human, divine, finite, and infinite, but we become God-like as we gaze on Christ and become more like him, and we share in his loving relationship with the Father. Of course, becoming like God so we can share in an ever more intimate fellowship naturally involves transformation at a very deep core level. And to express this, the fathers use the term theosis. So let's circle back now to marriage and Macrina. I promise I, we really aren't lost. These aren't random rabbit trails. Theology is really interwoven. It's like an ornate tapestry or a tangled up grapevine. You run into other threads as we work our way down the loom. And sometimes we have to go where those threads are and then come back to see the whole picture. So Macrina, her famous brothers, and their other siblings grew up seeing their parents love and serve one another. They partnered together. They followed Jesus together. And in so doing, both husband and wife became more of who they already were. Their intimacy matured them and developed them. It did so in a way that was unique to marriage. I have many good friends, but none of them have served to make me so aware of my flaws as my husband has. To be honest, actually, as I wrote this, he was off taking a shower, doing some kind of self-care after dinner, and I was seething over a pile of unfolded laundry after a day spent nursing a sick child. And I realized as I was writing this section that I'm really selfish and I need redemption. And my family shows me that more than any friend ever could, probably because of proximity. I suspect I'm not alone in saying that. I hope I'm not alone in saying that. Macrina and her brothers recognized the way in which such a close, long-lived and intimate relationship has the potential to bring about transformation by sharing life together. And what did I say theosis is about? It's about sharing in the life of God. So it was quite natural for Macrina to view her relationship with Christ as a marriage. It was a relationship, a sharing of life that would transform her to core level. When Gregory, her brother, wrote about her life and the process of theosis, he would regularly utilize Macrina as an example of this mysterious process and what would happen to each individual believer as they participated in it. He wrote that Macrina was devoted to God, had a clear focus on Christ, and she lived each day with the intention of drawing closer to him, becoming more like him, and in turn, more like herself as his creation. There's no collapse of personality here. As we become more like God, we become more truly ourselves. Macrina lived in union with Christ, the same kind of union that Paul describes in Ephesians 5, and it changed her deeply because she became more closely knit to her Savior and more deeply engaged in the life of the Trinity. And so the fact that Gregory of Nyssa utilizes her as a primary example of theosis and saintliness is definitely not surprising. Obviously, Macrina was a remarkable woman. 
Even from a young age, she was willing to sacrifice the expected life for a girl in her social standing in order to serve Christ. Her devotion and her asceticism marked her life as one of genuine piety and continual engagement with God through daily life, and perhaps more significantly, through the rejection of everyday comforts and luxuries. Indeed, Macrina's devout example was instrumental in drawing many of her family towards a more ascetic life. Slowly but methodically, Macrina and those in her community began a proto-monastic practice. And this took place largely under her guidance. In fact, Anna M. Silvas argues that though historians label her brother Basil as one of the first to set up an intentional monastic community, his patterns and practices were indelibly shaped by Macrina. She is one of the forerunners of monastic communities. I want to quickly do a little summarizing before moving into an explanation of why I've chosen this remarkable woman as a sort of paradigm for the podcast. So far, we've learned several things about Macrina the Younger. She was a devoted, pious woman who forsook an easy and comfortable life out of commitment to Christ. She inspired many of her family towards greater piety and a more ascetic life. Two of her brothers, Basil and Gregory, were key figures in the early church. These men were two of the three Cappadocian fathers. They helped to articulate and develop key insights in Trinitarian theology, including defending Christ's deity, as well as defending the personhood and divinity of the Holy Spirit. These are big topics. Macrina deeply influenced her brothers, but particularly Gregory, who quite tenderly describes her life and spiritual purity in his work, The Life of Macrina. There, he compares her singleness and focused devotion on Christ to the marriage of the soul with Christ the bridegroom, a union which enables theosis, or the possibility of sharing in the divine life. Theosis is a process whereby believers are transformed to be more and more like Christ and to participate in his life and his relationship with the Father by the power of the Spirit. It's really this question of influence and inspiration that I'm pretty hung up on, Gregory and Basil, Macrina's brothers, they go on to be well-known, frequently read theologians. I teach a church history course at a seminary in the United States, and each semester that I run this course, my students have to read about the Cappadocian Fathers. In fact, I just lectured about them this week. When we affirm um, that Christ is equal to the Father, that he's uncreated, we're affirming the work and interpretations of the Cappadocians. Some of us say uh, historic creeds in our worship settings. Some of those are indebted to the work of Gregory and Basil. Unlike many of their contemporaries, these men held a much higher view of women, and this is probably because they were so deeply inspired by their sister. And yet, Macrina remains somewhat shrouded in mystery. Even in those traditions which annually celebrate her as a saint, we primarily know of her through the writings of her brother Gregory. We don't often teach about her in the church or in seminary, at least not to the extent that we do her brothers. And still, she is there. She's hanging out in the background, whispering and directing things, offering direction or ideas to the men who made important decisions. Even when we don't see her as clearly, and in some traditions we may not even acknowledge her, Macrina's voice is still there, and she still matters. I want to transition us briefly off of Macrina the Younger and give you the barest outline of a book which is quite dear to my heart. 
It's a classic short fairy tale. It's called The Golden Key, and it's by George MacDonald. It's a clever, beautiful little tale, and I would encourage you to read it. So I can't give you too much information here. There aren't any spoilers in what I'm going to say. I just, I can't give it away. It's a tale about a search. Mossy and Tangle have the key, and now they're searching for what the key will open. Is it a door? Is it a chest? Something else? In some ways, the manner in which Mossy and Tangle go about their adventure might seem rather mundane. In one sense, all they really do is walk. They walk and walk and walk. They climb hills. They walk by the sea. They walk through light. They walk through shadow. And yet both boy and girl, man and woman are profoundly changed by the journey and the search which inspires it. Peter Kreeft, a philosopher who enjoys this fairy tale, suggests that the key which Mossy and Tangle carry is like Christ. In Christ, we know the answers. Christ is himself the answer. And now we get to find the questions. What are the questions? What else can we ask so we might discover and better know God through knowing the world more fully? This is that connecting point for me between Macrina the Younger and MacDonald's fairy tale. Macrina could see the importance of submitting her entire life to Christ so she might know him and serve him with greater devotion and intimacy. Mossy and Tangle discover they are changed through some of the most mundane actions, but in what turns out to be the most wondrous of circumstances. Our entire lives can mirror this journey. We have found a strange and beautiful key first, and now we are searching for a lifetime to find the lock which it opens. And as Peter Kreeft asks, if Christ is the answer, then we can, like Macrina, Mossy, and Tangle, seek him in all our varied endeavors, at all times, in all places, in every season, no matter who we are. When I started women's ministry at a church, my husband and I helped to plant I somewhat infamously volunteered because, well, I wanted to create a women's ministry that wasn't terrible. I think our rector once quoted me to someone as having said, Tim, I'll do women's ministry because I want a women's ministry that doesn't suck. It it was not my best moment. I'm happy to admit that. I definitely could have phrased it better. But I stand by that sentiment. Women's ministry programs are often narrowly focused on one life stage or one personality or one kind of woman. I generally find them to be shallow, and what we lack in theological depth, we are making up for with crafts that I'm just going to throw out when I get home. Maybe that isn't your experience in a church setting. Maybe you've had wonderful programs for women. If so, I'm utterly and completely delighted for you. But that was not what I had witnessed. So I helped start this program for women and engaged some pretty excellent speakers and thoughtful women from our congregation, and we had a really good thing going. It was rich with fellowship and brimming with intentionality as we sought to learn and grow together. At one of our events, I was sitting on a coffee table facing three women crowded onto a couch. We were surrounded by many others, and the room had terrible acoustics. It was all hard services, and it was bursting at the seams with raucous, joy-filled women all eating and drinking and laughing together in a night of incredible fellowship. I nearly had to shout in order to be heard by those women just a foot away from me. As we went over what had happened during our weeks, I casually mentioned I had just wrapped up a unit teaching on atonement theories. Atonement theories, one of them asked. 
Oh, you know, motifs of the atonement, I said, or probably something like that. And probably somewhat dismissively, because in my world, that's not a strange thing to say. I mean, doesn't everyone know about these things? Or at least what the phrase references? Yes. Well, that was one of those moments when I realized that not everyone is in academia and not everyone is a geek like me and not everyone has been privileged to the education that I have been gifted. So I began to explain to these women what an atonement motif entails, that each one offers a different way of understanding Christ's work on the cross and in the resurrection. These women really, they leaned in to listen as I briefly sketched each theory. I had just taught these in a grad school level course earlier that day. And these women were so intrigued. They managed to tune out the noise and laughter that permeated the room and ricocheted off the walls. They were eager, even hungry for what I was sharing. And as understanding broadened for them, it was clear that their delight in Christ's work was deeper and richer. It struck me then that these women were just as interested in these things as my students, and in some cases, probably more interested. Their lives didn't have space for them to go to grad school. They were mothers, nurses, teachers. They were, in other words, busy with very important matters. They were full of living life already. That life at times may seem like it's lived in the background, I think this is true for all human beings at some point. So much of our lives are spent at work, in the car, at church, in the garden, at the supermarket, eating meals, washing dishes or clothes. We spend a lot of time on the way, as it were. And there's a lot that we do which isn't in the limelight. Life is really lived in these ordinary moments of background necessities. I think this can be particularly true for women, not exclusively. But women are statistically more likely to give up careers when children come or work in professions associated with helping and caregiving. Say what we want about whether or not this is how it should be, it is simply reality. And yet those women, despite being in the background, still have incredible influence, just like Macrina. Who spends the most time with our children who are the future and who serves the vulnerable? Women, and yet, Who's underrepresented in theological higher education? Women. When I think of women today, I think of Macrina's influence on her brothers and through them, her influence on the church. When we consider women in this way, it's so clear they should be given the chance to learn and think about these important beliefs which make up the Christian faith. R.C. Sproul famously said that everyone's a theologian. In fact, he's written an entire book on that concept, arguing that we're all theologians because at some point, each of us thinks about God. For those of us who can't attend seminary due to time or finances, here in this podcast, there's a chance to still get a sense of that education. This podcast is designed to give people the opportunity to think about theology in a systematic manner and in bite-sized portions that you can squeeze into your day. It is in many ways particularly geared towards women, but I hope it isn't exclusively steered toward them. In what we talk about here, I want to offer support for theological exploration, talk about different doctrines, explain boundary markers of orthodoxy, and the freedom within those. I want to set before you a rich feast of intellectual fodder. 
because of the feast that God puts before us when we come to fellowship with him and eat in his presence. I want us to recognize that even if we're in the background like Macrina, we still have the key of Christ and our questions are well worth finding and well worth answering. When I first started dreaming about this podcast, I went back in my mind to that night in women's ministry and I thought of those women hungry and excited to learn. This podcast is for them. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of Macrina's Key. If you like what you heard, please leave a review. It really helps others find the podcast. If you want to get in touch, head on over to the website, macrinaskey.com, or check out the Patreon page, patreon.com backslash macrinaskey. There, you'll find exclusive episodes and materials for members. And more importantly, you'll find a community of fellow learners. I hope to see you there. Until next time, peace to each of you.